So like every other American who ever lived, or human being who ever lived, I hate snakes. And I grew up in the southeastern Virginia in kind of a swampy climate, so uh, that was not the best place to be if you hate snakes. I just despise them. I don't understand the need to hold them or have them in a tank or keep them around to kill vermin or whatever it is you think they do. Um, yeah, so where I grew up, that we had these black snakes, um, which, you know, had kind of the on-the-nose on name black snake. Um, and they were absolutely terrifying. Uh, they were the non-venomous non version, but they were still really aggressive. So um, they would bite you, etc., if they needed to. One, I never had one bite me. I had them run away from me. Um, so really my hatred of snakes is based on, I don't know, some sort of like pre-programmed genetic response or something because I've never really had a bad experience with one, but I hate them. I despise them and I apologize not for it at all. Um, and so I wanted to talk about snakes today on geocaching scripture. Geocaching. Geocaching is this rarefied sport hobby, right? Uh, in which we find these little geocaches, um, little tiny treasures that uh, sort of bring dimension to a hike or a walk that we might be familiar with. Um, you can put in your coordinates and go looking for them, watch out for snakes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think it works as a metaphor for scripture, geocaching scripture. The scripture, God's word is just full of so many little tiny treasures that you know, might make something that's familiar uh, come to life again for us. Um, just thinking of little things from language and cultural situation and history and all sorts of things that help to bring dimension or help us see the dimension that's already there. Yes, I'm drinking my morning coffee. I also apologize not for that. Um, and I'm in my son's room, so I had to push a bunch of Legos out from underneath me when I sat down. His pet uh, toad is staring at me from its, um, well, it's a frog, I guess, from its uh, tank, uh, where it's sort of flanked on either side by a pair of uh, ceramic seahorses. And um, I'm being looked at by various uh, dragons, Lego men, sock monkeys, and all sorts of things. I love having a nine-year-old and being a dad. Um, and I thought I'd talk about snakes. So... Paul had a run-in with a snake, and I always am fascinated by this story, but I've never really heard anybody preach on it or really reflect on it very much at all. I remember it more, mostly from kids' books where there's sort of this like hair-raising picture of um, Paul standing over a fire and shaking a snake off his hand. Um, and that's kind of what I was, was thinking about, and I was like, wow, that must have a bunch of geocaching to it. And honestly, it doesn't. It's like a historical event that doesn't have a whole lot of of layer to it to look around in. Uh, but it's still an interesting story about which we know very little. So I thought I'd put it in some context, and and I just had some fun with it. So let's read our passage. Our passage is Acts twenty eight and verse three. When Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. And when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. 
uh, Acts 28 verses 3 through 6. So again, this is, um, there is some symbolic stuff going on here to a point, but typical of Luke, um, he's going he's gonna to stick to the history. Uh, again, remember that Luke wrote Acts. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and Acts is a sequel to it. A lot of commentators will just call it full-on Luke-Acts because it really is meant to be read as one book. Um, what we have here that interests me is that these local people uh, looked at him and said, justice is coming back. So that there was probably some sort of um, pagan god that was associated with justice, and they thought that that through the snake, the god of justice... Um, probably associated with a snake of some kind, and they caught that they thought that through the snake that justice was having its revenge on Paul, and Paul probably did something to tick justice justice off. That's the whole story there. So they're completely shocked when Paul is not taken out by this thing, and they think that their gods do this. So, and then they say he survived the sea. But now justice has gotten him, basically. Um, he survived what was going on with the water, um, and now justice is coming after him. So what's interesting here is if you look at the passages before that, Paul is shipwrecked, um, and he is out on the ocean um, or out on the Mediterranean Sea. And the deal with that being that in the ancient world, people were pretty terrified of the sea. And the sea had a lot of power and a lot of um, things going on that they didn't fully understand. The Jewish mindset of what the sea was and what it was, what had power over it was really unnerving. And so you see these stories of the sea in any time they interact with Jesus and the, and the water, um, they're pretty shocked, you know, like when Jesus walks on water or when he... Um, puts down the big thunderstorm and all that stuff, He, they, to them, it's pretty terrifying because only one person, only one being, has control over the sea. And that being is God. And that is what scared them about Jesus. So when Paul is in the sea, that would be really terrifying for his original listeners and original readers here. He's in the sea, forget it. The sea is uncreation. The sea is chaos. The sea will take him, and he, and it doesn't. And then after that, he has a run-in with a snake. So I think we're running into um, two different cultures perceiving the things that are going on. For one, you have pagan culture, which I'm sure had its own legends of the sea and its own legends of the power of the sea and the mystery of the sea and its own legends of snakes and and fear. You know, So the sea, a lot of people died there. You had snakes. They were venomous. They were scary. So... All these beliefs and superstitions kind of gather around them. For the Jewish audience, um, the sea was, again, uncreation and chaos. One of the visions of the new heavens and the new earth is that there will be no more sea. Now, I don't think that means it'll be a desert, but um, there is taking away of chaos and uncreation in God's new and perfect world. So for the Jewish listener, the sea would have been this symbol of fear and the snake, of course, would have been associated with the story of Adam and Eve and the garden. All that to say, Paul comes through them both. And I think that's what's kind of important here to this. Paul is unaffected by the gods, right? He is untouched by them because he is on mission from God. 
And God is in control over all these things. Um, and this is a parallel. Acts is written actually like in a parallel, a parallel structure to the book of Luke. So you have Jesus being uh, crucified, Jesus being on trial. You have Paul on trial. You have Paul going through death-defying odds or his experience of death and uncreation, and that is his time in the water. So this is that parallel to that. There is, of course, no parallel to the resurrection because that only happens to Jesus. Um, But what we see is that Paul, who is on mission from God, who has control over nature, has control over the sea and the snakes, um, makes Paul impervious to these things and unhurt by these things. Uh, and that because that's because Paul is on mission. And I think what that points us to, on the one hand, there's errors that points us that can point us to. On the on the other hand, there's um, a solid lesson from this. So the solid lesson being that when we're on mission from God, when we're when we're buoyed up by His truth, when we're in touch with life as the way it's meant to be, then we are impervious to the local gods. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, like not impervious, but what I mean to say is we have, we have strength that we wouldn't have otherwise strength in our culture against, um, being bitter, being cynical, being vengeful, all these different snakes that culture can breed, right? And that we can stand up against them because we know who we are. We know whose we are. We know what we're supposed to do. We're on that mission. Now, does that mean literally getting bitten by snakes and it not being a problem? Probably not. It happens. I think sometimes in history it happened to Paul. It probably happens, has happened out on the mission field and other places. But don't go picking up snakes in your yard to see what happens. Take the lesson from this that when your confidence is in Christ, you are not going to be touched by what other people are touched by. Right? You're not going to be destroyed by the storms of culture and life. You have a strength and a confidence that is beyond all those things. The error, I think, is when you have people like snake handlers, which I find morbidly fascinating group of people, um, that try to, what would you call it, like show off their holiness or test God in essentially doing things that are foolhardy. Um, and I've, I've done some research on the snake handling um, movement. It's very small. It's not very old, which is interesting. It's, this is not something that's been around forever. Uh, this is mostly just coming out of uh, very backwoods Pentecostal revivals in uh, the 1920s and 30s. Um, you had some people who sort of founded this movement and – you know, the guy who found it in is dead because he got bit by a snake. <laughs> like, it's just, it's kind of silly. Um, there's a pretty creepy video on of um, a young guy who was one of these, whose father, I believe, was killed by a snake as well, and who took over his, his quote-unquote ministry, sorry to say it that way. Um, and he's doing, you know, their snake handling thing, screaming into his microphone and everything else. Uh, and this was maybe six, seven years ago. Uh, and the rattlesnake that he's holding bites him right in the face. And then he says, I'm not worried about it. God is the healer. God is the healer. And he's yelling that and yelling that. And he says, God is, woof. God is the healer. And he's bleeding all down his shirt. And he sits down and, and then he starts retching 
because it's a poisonous snake and it bit him like right where everything is, you know, like right on his temple, right? Like the side of his brain. And so then he gets sicker and sicker and finally they walk him out and they take him to the ER and he recovered. And now I believe he is in ministry, but he doesn't do this anymore. Um, and I would love to talk to this guy just, just to find out, you know, what wisdom he learned from that. And the fact that the lesson from Paul is not go grab a snake, but the lesson is that our confidence is in Christ. Our confidence is beyond, which means that our immediate circumstances, whether they're the sea, whether there's the snakes, whether they are painful relationships, divorces, economic crisis, all those things don't have to overwhelm us. And that's what we'll take home today. Thanks for listening. Pax Humana. Cheers. Cheers.